How religion, particularly Christianity, is booming in China. What happened in China is during the 1980s, Chinese society was just undergoing a tremendous revival. People were told to be rich is glorious. That was the motto. But as time went on over the decades, people began yearning for something more. People worshiped Mao. And after Mao died, there was this vacuum that was created. People began turning more and more to religion. There was a real flourishing of not only Christianity, but all religions. So interest in Buddhism, interest in the philosophies of Taoism and Confucianism. So that's why in like the last two decades in particular, you've seen a revival of interest in religion, Christianity in particular. This is Beliefs. I'm Bill Baker. Jennifer Linz, the author of the book Shanghai Faithful, a narrative chronicling the emergence and suppression of the search for meaning in post-revolutionary China. Five generations of the Lin family worship and pray through a remarkable change in the world's most populous nation. Jennifer joined me to discuss her book. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you, Bill, for inviting me to your show. Now, listen, tell me how all of this started. How did you begin the massive research of your family in China? Tell us about their faith and their story. I can actually pinpoint, Bill, the precise moment where this odyssey began, and it was 1979. Now, my father uh, is Chinese. He was raised in Shanghai, and he was part of the great diaspora of Chinese who left China at the tail end of the Civil War, when it became obvious that the Red Army would be successful. So he left China in 1949. The first morning in Shanghai, when I woke up, I was in my father's family home, and I will never forget the look on my father's face when he came down the steps. And he turned to me, and he said, my God, this is so depressing. And what happened is, the first night, we went to bed, and everyone was very in a very cheerful mood, and my father's uncle pulled him aside and said to him, do you have any idea what has happened to us since you've been gone? And the truth of the matter was my father was clueless. And this one uncle, and this uncle alone, because the others wanted to keep their mouths shut, this uncle started to tell my father what happened to his parents during the Cultural Revolution. This was a very brutal period in Chinese history. It was 10 years, really, of anarchy. And society turned on, on certain groups of people, uh, if you were a capitalist, if you had, were educated, if you had Western ties, you were described as being an enemy of the people. And this happened to my grandparents. And so for my grandmother in particular, life was very difficult. Her brother was a very prominent religious leader in China. His name was Watchman Nee. And to this day, people still read his books. There are millions of followers around the world was, uh, you know, declared an enemy of the people. And in China, 
during the Cultural Revolution, it was guilt by association. So for my grandparents, it was very difficult. My grandmother was tormented, persecuted on a daily basis, treated as a pariah by her neighbors. My grandfather was an Anglican priest. He was accused of being an American spy. So for the family, it was very difficult. And my father was only learning this during that first night of our first trip to China in 1979. And I was, you know, a reporter for, for decades for the Philadelphia Inquirer, and I just used my reporting skills to begin peeling back the layers. And the thing is, once I figured out, okay, why were they targeted during the Cultural Revolution? What was it about Watchman Nee, this religious figure that made them, you know, uh, you know, such enemies of the people? Once I figured out that question, I just had more and more questions. And one of the things that really intrigued me was the fact that both of my grandparents were third-generation Christians. And I began to really wonder, you know, how unusual that was. Like, that in a culture like China, which is steeped in its own philosophies and religions, why would anyone back in the late 1800s turn to Christianity? So really, this, the story of my family, I kept getting pushed further and further into the past, where I needed to know, okay, who was the first? And why? You know, why did they convert to Christianity? And at some point, you know, this was like a 40-year odyssey to try to figure out the answer to all these questions. But at some point, like in the past six years, I guess it was, I really sat down to start writing their story. And that's really what Shanghai Faithful is. It's answering all those questions. It's a look at the Lin family, going back to the very first convert in the family, uh, a character I call Old Lin, who was really just an uneducated fisherman in the province of Fujian. And through my family, someone can really understand the evolution of Christianity in China uh, because of, you know, just, just the, the characters in my story and in particular because of my grandfather, who was an Anglican priest, and my great uncle, Watchman Nee, who again, was one of the most prominent Christian religious figures in China in the 20th century. He was not associated with any of the denominational mission churches. He, he very much led what is called like an indigenous church movement in China. And he was really at the vanguard of, of the whole house church movement. Watchman Nee spurned the denominational churches. He did not want to be aligned with the Anglicans or the Presbyterians or anyone. He was building a kind of a grassroots Chinese religious movement. And they didn't build churches with steeples and crosses. They met in houses, hence the house church you know, phrase. And that's how they would uh, congregate uh, as, as like-minded religious people. So these uh, Christian house churches all over China uh, developed, kept operating even though they were technically outlawed and viewed as uh, crimes against the people and conspirators, etc. cetera. Uh, how many of them were there? How long did they go on? And, uh, and they are still going on today, is that correct? So Watchman Nee was very active in like the 1930s, 1940s in China. And in 1949, when China became the People's Republic of China, a communist nation, at that time there were an estimated 80,000 people who were followers of Watchman Nee. And they were in house churches all over the country, in every major city. 
Um, Watchman Nee was not the only one, but he was very much, as I said, at the vanguard of this. So what happened in China is when China became a communist nation, the, the government, the regime tried to assert control over churches and churches were required to register with the government. There were many that didn't want to do that. And many were the house churches. So they were always kind of operating kind of beneath the radar for many years. Um, Watchman Nee, though, was arrested in 1952. He was sent away to a labor camp in 1956, died in a labor camp. And, um, uh, you know, the house churches, uh, you know, really had to kind of go underground in the, in the 50s and the 60s. During the Cultural Revolution, though, all churches were closed. Not only uh, Christian churches and Catholic churches, but also mosques and temples, everything was shut down. It didn't start to revive the, the churches until 1979. I was actually in China in 1979, in June, when the news came out that they would reopen churches. And many people went back to churches, but those who were still very suspicious of, of the government and fearful of the government, you know, were in house churches, what they used to call underground churches. Today, that, that phrase doesn't really apply so much because the house churches, many of them just operate in the open. I mean, today you can go to a Chinese city and there are house churches in hotel ballrooms or in offices, you know, they're not as secretive as they used to be. But there are house churches all over China. Uh, you know, some of them have just a, you know, uh, a few number of followers. Some of them have hundreds. Um, and there's a real struggle in China today between uh, the house churches and, and the Chinese government, which would like for all churches to be registered. And many of the people who are aligned with, with the house churches really push back against that. So there's tension in China today. Uh, you know, there are new rules and regulations for churches, and the government, again, would like to assert more control over all churches, including house churches. But in China, you know, uh, again, it's hard to say how many house churches are because there are because, you know, it's, it's no one really knows. But you can go really to any Chinese city or town, and, and you'll, you'll find house churches. Uh, the... Uh, expectation after the Cultural Revolution where religion was basically outlawed, was outlawed, uh, was that religion, when it did come back, really wouldn't come back, that nobody would care. It's been a surprise. There really is kind of a rebirth and fast growth of religion, uh, particularly Christianity. What happened in China is during the 1980s, Chinese society was just undergoing a tremendous revival. People were told to be rich is glorious. That was the motto. But as time went on over the decades, people began yearning for something more. People worshiped Mao. And after Mao died, there was this vacuum that was created. People began turning more and more to religion. There was a real flourishing of not only Christianity, but all religions. So interest in Buddhism, interest in the philosophies of Taoism and Confucianism. So that's why in like the last two decades in particular, you've seen a revival of interest in religion, Christianity in particular. It's very difficult to say exactly how many Christians there are in China, again, because you have this situation where you have registered churches, but many more unregistered 
people who are practicing either Catholicism or or Christianity. There are no denominations in China. There's not like there's a Presbyterian church or a Methodist church. They're just, quote, Christians. And no one really knows how many, but it's estimated that it could be close to 100 million Protestants and Catholics in China. And again, many people wrote off religion entirely in 1949 and thought in 1979 that it really wouldn't amount to much. But it's the trajectory, too, that people are, are watching and noticing. Um, you know, there are some people who estimate that in the next decade, the number could actually double to, to close to 200 million. No one knows precisely, but it, it can be said that there is, uh, you know, just a revival of interest in, in religion in China. Tell us about your grandfather, who was an Anglican minister, Anglican priest uh, in that time in China. My grandfather, Lin Puqi, was a third-generation Christian, and he went to a mission school in the city of Fuzhou. Fuzhou was in between, like, Shanghai and Hong Kong. And he was a, a very uh, bright boy who then was sent to Shanghai, to St. John's University on a scholarship. St. John's was run by the American Episcopal Church, missionaries from there. The missionaries knew they had a problem in China because if Christianity was really going to take root and flourish, the church needed Chinese clerics. So my grandfather uh, was sent to Philadelphia in 1918 to attend the Episcopal Seminary there. And he then returned to China in 1920 and began working for the Anglican Church in the city of Fuzhou. He was just what the church needed because he was an educated Chinese cleric. And my grandfather, he, he worked for, a, a, he was dean of the cathedral in, in Fuzhou. He was also principal of um, uh, Trinity College, which was more like a, a middle school, high school, uh, you know, for Americans. Um, but he was principal of, of Trinity College. And so he was very prominent in the church in Fuzhou in the 1920s. This really caused problems because the Chinese Christians were always seen as, as being connected to Westerners because Christianity was brought to China by uh, first by the, the Catholic missionaries hundreds of years ago, and then in the mid-19th century by, by Protestant missionaries who came in great numbers after the end of the Opium War, when China was forced to op open its, its country and its ports to foreigners. That included traders, but also missionaries. So my, my family, the Lin family, was actually part of that early church movement so my family comes from Fujian province, which is in southern China, and the Anglican missionaries, that was one of the first ports that they went to. And so my great-great-grandfather was one of the early converts in Fujian province. He was just a fisherman, and he converted to Christianity and actually went to work uh, for the missionaries as a cook. He had a son. His son was trained by the missionaries to be a doctor. It, he didn't go to medical school like we know medical school, but he was more trained as a, a medical apprentice. And my great-grandfather, when he went to work with the missionaries in a hospital, this particular hospital, two-thirds of the patients were opium addicts. 
So the doctor then had 10 children, the oldest of whom was my grandfather. And he was the one who went to St. John's. He was the one who became the Anglican priest. And he was the one who in the 1920s, because of his prominence, faced a lot of anti-foreign backlash. As I was starting to explain, the Christians were very much associated with the Westerners, the Chinese Christians. And in 1927, there was, uh, there was something called the Northern Expedition. It was when the communists and the nationalists were trying to battle the warlords to bring unity to China. But this was also a period of a lot of anti-foreign sentiment. And in the city of Fuzhou, what I found out in my research for the book is there was an incident in March of 1927 where some of these communist anti-foreign agitators were holding a protest. It was a mob. And they, my grandfather, unfortunately, was seized by this mob. And he was paraded through the streets of Fuzhou for an entire day where they put a noose around his neck, they tied his hands, and they dragged him through the streets like a dog on a leash. They had a dunce cap on his head and a placard on his chest that said, running dogs of the foreigners. And what they were trying to do is to, to, to bully him into renouncing his faith. And they kept telling him, you know, we'll release you if you renounce your faith. And he refused. And I, I actually stumbled on this story uh, when I was doing my research. And the more I started to investigate it, the more I realized, you know, what an what a amazing moment this was. And I found multiple descriptions of this incident uh, in missionary reports, in diplomatic reports, in newspaper reports. Reuters even ran a story about my grandfather being attacked by an anti-foreign mob. And what was really interesting is no one in my family knew this story. No one. Not my father, not his relatives. And this story would have been lost to history if I hadn't stumbled upon it. What happened to your grandfather after that, after he refused to renounce his faith? They, the, the mob gave up. It was an entire day. They finally let him go. And he continued to try to do his work in Fuzhou. But Fuzhou was a much smaller city than, say, Shanghai. And he was really uh, just a, a marked man. There was another incident uh, two years later where, again, another anti-foreign, anti-Christian mob again attacked him. And I think my grandfather realized that, you know, he was ineffective because he was so marked. Uh, and so he moved the family to Shanghai in 1932 and went to work for a parish there in, in, in Shanghai and became principal of a school. So he moved on. I assume these house churches are a powerful experience. Have you witnessed any of them? When I was doing my research, um, I went to Fuzhou in 2015 because Fuzhou is not only where my grandfather came from, but also Watchman Nee. And I wanted to try to gauge their legacy. So a cousin of mine actually took me to a house church in Fuzhou, which was in an apartment. It was a very small apartment. There may have been three dozen people who were there. But what was very interesting is that the people who were there still read the books, uh, the writings of Watchman Nee. They still sang the hymns uh, that he had written. 
So there was still very much an interest in the teachings of Watchman Nee. The house church movement in this in Fuzhou is is very vibrant. Um, and again, it's not underground. I mean, the, the authorities know that there are house churches out there. So it is very much uh, alive and well. Um, there's There would be, you know, the, the government is not trying to shut down house churches, but they are very much trying to uh, exert more uh, control over them. So there is that tension in Chinese society today. Jennifer Lin, thank you for this story. Thank you for the book. The book is called Shanghai Faithful. Thank you, Bill, for giving me the opportunity to tell you about my family. So thank you very much. Our guest was Jennifer Lin, author of the book Shanghai Faithful. The conversation continues on our Facebook page, and we tweet at Beliefs Podcast. If you like our program, come review us on iTunes. Beliefs is brought to you with the support of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jay Woodward is our producer. The theme music is by Edward Billis. I'm Bill Baker, and thank you for listening.